politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here on this fine August 18th, Tuesday. And we are well into another exciting week here, not because of that pathetic Democrat convention, which, by the way, I didn't even know what was going on until people told me about it. Who sits and watches a Zoom convention? Just in itself shows what a pathetic society we have become. Um, We have a lot to get to today. Lots of material on the data, interesting stories about the virus, where we're headed. It's all coalescing. All the data and all the trends are coalescing on a number of themes we have talked about. That it does what it does when it does it, given the seasonality, given the area, and there is not much you can do about it. And we are going to hit herd immunity no matter what. But that herd immunity threshold is more like 20%. It slows down 10 to 15%. It starts slowing down. It's not 80%. And if we can only get that through our thick skulls, we will save more lives from the virus. We will save more lives from the collateral damage. We will save mental health of a generation. This is what we need to hear at a Republican convention. But thank God I'm going to be away next week. So we'll be off a couple days. So I'm not going to have to hear that drivel from one rhino after another talking at that convention. Man, I've been really busy, by the way. Because we had this bomb dropped on us by our private school that all the kids would have to wear a mask all day. So I'm going to homeschooling, and it's just it's just a nightmare doing this in August as opposed to June. I wish I would have known about this in June, um, that we plan on turning America into Afghanistan, if you know what I mean, that this is our Afghanistan. You can never get out of this lockdown mentality because there's no agenda. There's no outcome because what we sought to accomplish, we accomplished from day one, just like with the Afghan invasion. And what this entire endeavor has grown into is something that will never end under their metric. So I'm just busy with that. I really appreciate, by the way, a lot of you guys have sent me uh, your ideas and homeschooling curriculum. It's just very difficult to do this at once. I've always wanted to do this. We never had the time, so it's tough. I have to find things that are very much geared towards self-teaching where my wife won't have to spend a lot of time that she doesn't have, especially with the new baby. So I really appreciate uh, what you guys are sending my way. It's just there's so much good stuff to sift through. There are good curriculums out there. And look, maybe this will be the catalyst for millions of more Americans to go to homeschooling. Obviously, I was never in the public school system. We were in the private school system, but they're drinking out of the same trough in a lot of these places as the public schools. Let's evacuate ourselves from that system. And we'll talk about that in the coming days, how to evacuate ourselves from the system, because that's something we're going to have to do. But I do want to get into what we are seeing with the latest trends. Fauci was out there saying that, I don't know, 
If we do herd immunity, it will be an enormous and unacceptable loss of life if everyone contracted it, even with the relatively high percentage of people without symptoms. A lot of people are going to die. I mean, this guy is... I go back and forth between thinking he's dumb as mud or he knows what we know, but he's just a political hack. Everyone contracts it. Everyone is not contracting it. How many times do we need to see if you want to stop it from burning out, you can't stop it. It's going to get to its 20%. But once it gets to the 20%, it pretty much burns out. In other words, human intervention is meaningless. Until it hits that threshold, which is much lower than he's saying, it's going to do what it does. And we're seeing that everywhere. Notice how it's a six to eight week cycle wherever you go. Six to eight week cycle. We saw that in the Northeast when it started out. And we saw it in the South. It was about six to eight weeks. And now it's going down, down, down. You wouldn't know it. But according to CDC, and this was as of a couple days ago, I'm sure it's much lower, just 1.8% of emergency department visits were with lab-confirmed COVID cases. Okay, that means that 98.2% of ED visits were not. That is not a pandemic. What we had primarily in June and July was a case-demic, just cases with the stupid PCR tests. The real epidemic was in March and April. But now we don't even have the case-demic. Obviously, you know, Texas is down 43% of hospitalizations, going down very rapidly. Similar story with with all the southern states. Guess why? If you look at Arizona had zero deaths yesterday. Now, it could be it was a light day of reporting. I'm sure we'll see some. Fewest cases we've seen in, in months. What is the seroprevalence? How many people have antibodies? How many people have gotten it? We don't, ex- we don't know that answer for certain. But if you look at the positivity rate, so on a lot of these state dashboards, they report the positivity rate of PCR testing, but also of the antibody testing. So now it's not a randomized sample like a poll where you could say it reflects the reality necessarily, but it does track pretty closely, You know, even though it's not randomized. And in Arizona, it's hitting about... now. And it's been slowing down for weeks, pretty much after it hit about 10%. And then what we seem to see is, depending on where you are, between 15 and 20%, it burns out. Stockholm, New York City, wherever you are, it burns out once once you reach that. In the real intense area sometimes, or, or like an intense, uh, close, confined place, sometimes you'll find 25%. Because remember, we're not saying that 80% have T-cell cross immunity. We're not saying that. It's probably more like 50%. But the point is, it gets the people that are most vulnerable first. It gets the 
the, the, the people who transmit the super spreaders, so to speak, are the ones who spread first. The, the remaining ones are the hard. That, that's that that water in the rag that that's harder to squeeze out. It's a velocity. It starts out. You squeeze out a lot. It, it, it's very little. So you add the 50 percent to the 20, you get 70 percent. The remainder is very tough. It's not extinction. And, and, and therein lies the problem that you're going to have cases here and there. You'll have a few deaths here and there, but it's not an epidemic, certainly not a reason to shut down the world, even if those policies uh, w- were successful and they're not. But that's what we're seeing over and over again. And even 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 the New York Times started to admit this It's very interesting. I don't know if you guys have, have seen this. But they have a whole article out. Scientists see signs of lasting immunity to COVID-19 even after mild infections. So the notion was, oh, antibodies don't really last. And, uh, you know, even if they they do, but for the mildly infected, they don't really have it. And they say everything we've been saying for months about B cells and T cells, that it turns out that they last They last. And that's the story. So watch for the panic porn to say, oh, well, fine. Okay, we're reaching the herd immunity threshold. But let me tell you something. They're going to get reinfected. Look, if, 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 if the T cell immunity was enough to ward off bad symptoms from those that never had SARS-CoV-2 because they had other coronaviruses, certainly if you got this coronavirus, it's going to work. But I want to share with you um, some writing from Yinon Weiss, a data and analyst. He's a veteran, um, really good guy I've come to know, probably some of the best stuff. He has been censored, censored everywhere because his work is so scholarly that the media cannot allow it to, um, to really percolate on social media platforms. Which reminds me, actually, before I get to him, I, I, I do want to talk about Today's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Everyone's talking about censorship on social media sites. Okay, that's one thing that's universal among anyone who calls themselves a conservative, even a Republican. You are censored on social media and you feel like there's nothing you can do about it. There is nothing you can do. Where do you go? ExpressVPN thought of an interesting idea. What if I told you I could protect your privacy have better running internet protection from viruses and fight back against this censorship that really cuts to the core of the information flow on getting at the truth with coronavirus. And this is all an information warfare. Okay? They want to remove people like Yinon Weiss that put out good content on Twitter and Facebook. So instead of letting social media sites revoke your right to free speech, how about revoking their right to your data? Okay? Let's face it. How do you think they get their money? They get their money because you click on their stuff and they track you. Your video history, your searches, everything you click on, and then they sell that data. When you use ExpressVPN, you basically make yourself anonymous from much of your online presence. It's hidden And your IP address is hidden. 
makes it much harder to trace and sell to advertisers. What if every conservative signed up for ExpressVPN and took their primary tool away from them? ExpressVPN is very easy to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. Now, you got to do it, do every device. And by the way, it encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. So aside from the social media bad guys, it protects you just from the typical problems you have. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com. Here's what I want you to do. Go to expressvpn.com forward slash conservative. By visiting my special link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com forward slash conservative, expressvpn.com forward slash conservative to protect your data today and fight back against media censorship. So Yinon has written stuff that got millions of views before he was cut off. But he put this out on Twitter, and he put out an amazing graphic comparing Sweden to New York. So he, he did Sweden to New York State and Stockholm to New York City. Okay? Stockholm's Sweden's biggest city. And what, what you notice is what everyone's saying is that, you know, New York has this massive lockdown. Sweden did nothing, no mask wearing. And you look, and it's like, they had the same duration. This is important. The same six, seven-week curve, they had it. Stockholm seemed to stop at 16%. New York City stopped at 21.6%. Could be it's a little bit more densely populated. That's fine. But again, in that window, they stopped at the timing and at the seroprevalence threshold, both of them. The difference is New York City had you know tons of more people killed. Okay. And by the way, he did something interesting. He compared Stockholm to New York State because some people say, oh, well, New York City is so much more densely populated. All righty. Well, you're right. New York City is more dense than Stockholm, but Stockholm is more dense than New York State. And still, New York State did much worse. Okay. A test in Northern Italy, he notes, showed that the population in Northern Italy was at 13 to 14% antibody levels in April when it tailed off. And we've seen nothing in Northern Italy since then. Similar thing in Germany. Germany generally hasn't had that much, but Gengalt in um, Heinsberg, that was kind of their worst area. It peaked out around 15%. New York City's 22% seems to be the highest known place. And again, that's a natural community, not like a prison where it's able to like, you know, spread quicker before burning out. And even then, a lot of prisons, by the way, and 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 ships and meatpacking plants, we did see usually in the low 20s. Now you had some that got into the 40s. But in a natural community, we have never seen anywhere get over 25%. Remember, when you hear this thing of second waves, it's in these areas that had 1-2% seroprevalence. So like it went there a little bit, and then it left. But places that hit that mark, nope. And that's what we're seeing in all these southern states, every one of them. Whether you lock down, you don't lock down. It doesn't matter. Again, it's kind of like, 
It reminds me of the old uh, Walker, Texas Ranger episodes with Chuck Norris. And he'd, he'd go to the bad guys, you know, who, who started to get belligerent with him. He's like, all right, dude, I'm taking you in. Are we going to do this the hard way or the easy way? Am I going to have to beat it out of you or not? And that's what it is. It's not 80%. It's 15 to 20%. Exactly as John Ioannidis, Michael Levitt, Sanatra Gupta of Oxford called it months ago. Are you going to destroy your society? Are you going to destroy your mental health? Are you going to kill people from denied care in the process or not? And again, the only thing it can do is, while it doesn't help, sometimes if you, if you do lock down early and severely enough, it could delay it until inevitably it comes. Okay, that's all it could do. And then you wind up killing more people because you don't get it done with with the stronger people quickly enough as Stockholm clearly and Sweden clearly proved. Meaning, I'm saying it doesn't make a difference. It actually does. It's actually better to go with, you know, not doing any of this from the beginning because you're going to burn it out with stronger people quicker, thereby shielding seniors who, even if you lock down, inevitably a certain amount wind up getting it anyway. The virus does what it does. And then certainly all those seniors who are dying from atrophy. I mean, God knows how many are going to burn out that way. That's the story. Different people have different levels of susceptibility. So if left to spread in the wild, more susceptible people get the virus first and it becomes increasingly hard to spread. That's the thing. It's... People are, you know, not everyone is equally as vulnerable to getting it. Not everyone's equally as vulnerable to dying from it. And not everyone is equally as vulnerable to spreading it. This is much more so than the flu. So it's not a homogenous, it's not like, um, like, you know, before the vaccine, like measles was. You know, it would just hit everyone everywhere equally. So you'd have to get like 90%. This is not like that. What started out as a very novel theory is being proven in every corner of this country and every corner of the world. And that's the story. And he obviously says this is not to say that only 15 to 20% were exposed to COVID. It says only 15 to 20% express antibodies because many are able to kill the virus before they're body even needs antibodies obviously the diamond princess cruise ship had 20 percent so this is the bottom line nothing about what they do makes a difference how ominous over the weekend this um who is this dude professor udi kumran He's the head of the Department of Clinical Microbiology and Immunology at Tel Aviv University. And this is a country that really killed its society with lockdown, and it didn't stop it from coming. It comes when it comes, almost perfectly it comes later. He said, in the end, the truth came to the surface. In a world where decision makers, their advisors, and the media were able to admit their mistake and the initial panic that gripped them, we would have long since returned to routine. The ongoing destruction due to the inability to admit this mistake, despite the epidemic's small mortality numbers, is outrageous. 
history will judge the hysteria. If we had not been told that there was an epidemic in the country, now he's talking about Israel, you would not have known there was such an epidemic and you would not have done anything about it. The fact that this issue runs all day in the media inflates it beyond its natural dimensions. If Black Death had raged here, as in the 14th century, you would not have had to follow the situation in the news. The bodies would have been piled up in the streets. We were not and we are not in that situation today. And again, Israel didn't have nearly as many and we could talk about why, but... Even in America, how many of you know people who died? I don't know anyone who died of this, personally. I do know two people who died in car accidents this year. And that's the story. This is where we are. We didn't learn the lessons. We didn't learn the lessons. We talked about Hawaii and the Philippines that no matter what they did they tried to they tried to block it but you know what it comes where it comes to southern latitudes it comes later the earlier ones it reached the 15 20% earlier then it comes there it does the same thing I want to talk to you about Peru but first I just want to make one point that a friend of mine noticed just remarkably with the pattern. Seasonality and herd immunity work together. Okay? Seasonality and herd immunity. It's not that the virus didn't reach all areas before. It just, you know, it mainly comes to the southern latitudes later. This guy peeled through the parishes of New Orleans to look at the areas where you had Mardi Gras. And what's interesting is, remember, we had this outbreak in New Orleans early on. You had New York City, you had a couple other places, and then you had New Orleans. It's interesting, if you noticed, if you look at the southern states, they barely got anything in the spring. And then the summer is when they had their wave. And now it's, it's gone, just like it was gone from the northeast. Because they reached herd immunity. And that herd immunity threshold is 15 to 20%. Louisiana, it was the opposite. They got a wave much more than anywhere in the South. Anywhere. If you remember, Texas put a travel ban on Louisiana in March. And then they didn't get the wave today. It's almost, it's two sides of it. You're going to get it at some point. That was driven by Mardi Gras. So he, he looked into those parishes and saw that they really, it, it was almost like a seesaw. The commensurate with the wave in March is how little they got now, and vice versa, the other places. It didn't really have much in March. They had it more now, but overall, that's why Louisiana seems to have skirted what other states got in the summer because they didn't skirt it in the spring, likely due to Mardi Gras, whereas the other states didn't really get it. But I want to read to you a column, part of a column from my friend... um, Jordan Schachtel, former colleague, we, we've had him on the show a couple of times. And he writes about Peru, once hailed as a COVID-19 success story. Peru is now the COVID-19 case study that lockdown advocates no longer want to discuss. Lima is on pace to surpass Belgium, which, by the way, is another strict lockdown country, um, as having the world's highest COVID-19 deaths per million. So why is nobody talking about it? 
pandemic panic promoters have been quick to criticize neighboring Brazil for its leadership's more relaxed policies towards the virus, but they've been noticeably absent in discussing Peru. That's because Peru implemented arguably the earliest, at least for their region, and strictest lockdowns in the entire world, along with several attempted suppression measures with the hopes to contain the virus, and none of it worked. For months on end, Peruvians were largely forbidden from leaving their homes. The country began its lockdown like many others by cutting itself off from the rest of the world, closing its borders to outsiders, shutting down the nation's economy and society. Only essential businesses were were allowed open. But Peru took it a step further. The military enforced a nationwide mandatory 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. curfew. Most essential stores were only open for a few hours. And citizens faced extreme penalties and legal consequences for failing to abide by them. Now, Peru, and that sounds very similar to the Philippines. They had the earliest and most severe lockdown. And now they are crushing Brazil in deaths per million. Okay? Now you might say, well, Daniel, well, look, at some point they had to come out of it and that's when it spread. Well, first of all, that's true to a point because you can't starve yourself forever. I mean, everyone agrees to that. So you're going to get it. I mean, again, there's one thing if you say, look, lockdown for three months and then a magical vaccine is going to come get rid of it. But we already see, they already say it's going to take forever and it's not really going to work. By the way, it's funny. There's a great study out of Italy that has shown that if you look at flu deaths over the last 15 years, there is zero evidence of declining flu deaths, even though the flu vaccine has really, really grown. I'm not, again, I'm not against the flu vaccine. I'm just saying it doesn't really stop it. And, and that's the best outcome you're going to get from a coronavirus vaccine. But anyway, the other thing is, but Peru implement, implemented, just like the Philippines, just like Hawaii, it's not like they went out carelessly. They implemented a universal masking mandate. Okay? And then on public transportation, you have to use a face shield above the... um. The mask didn't work. It just doesn't matter. This happens every time in every place. It just doesn't matter what you do. And by the way, I just wanted to mention for my friend Justin Hart, we had him on the show a couple of days ago. He, he, he's done brilliant work going back in history and researching some of this stuff. And... He talks about a headline in the Santa Barbara Daily News on November 16th, 1918. The average person doesn't, because, you know, that was the one time in history they're trying to use masks to um, combat this. And isn't it amazing, a hundred years ago, what they were able to discover? Quote, this is from the Santa Barbara Daily News. The average person doesn't know how to take care of a mask, and it, and it, um, If not cleansed, the thing soon becomes a veritable bacteria incubator. Look around you. Has anything changed, folks? I mean, that's the same thing. It's unbelievable. One doctor who was interviewed said there, as a matter of fact, 
the common use of the mask tends to propagate rather than check influenza. <laughs> then you um then he says you go over to Iowa. He he found an article from the Des Moines Tribune, November 30th, 1918. That was pretty much when it was ending. One Badger Benedict wants to know why they don't extend the wearing of the flu mask to the home so he won't know whether his wife greets him with a smile or a frown when he arrives late for dinner. Actually, so, you know, they were telling jokes in this Des Moines uh, paper. One of them said it wouldn't be difficult now to organize a local branch of the Ku Klux Klan in Des Moines. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So this was the one time in history you actually had that. And it didn't work. The virus did what it did and it lasted for when it lasted. And that's it. St. Louis Globe Democrat, February 11th, 2020. At the end of the first wave, there was a general agreement that the measure had proved ineffective. Okay? It just doesn't work. So we tried this 100 years ago, and it just didn't work. Because respiratory viruses do what they do when they do it. And you really have no way of getting around that. But here we are. We're making a big deal out of a virus that according to the UK, and I have no reason to believe America's data should be that much different, less than a third of those who tested positive for COVID-19 reported symptoms. Less than a third. Any symptoms. also want to read to you from Ed Acorn, it's a great piece out. It's good to be safe, but it's bad to be overwhelmed by fear to the point that you end up hurting yourself and others. A recent CNC poll found that Americans believe 9% of the population has been killed by the coronavirus. 9%. People think that 9% of the population has been killed. I've said this all along. What the left has going for itself is their reaction. Their reaction is the biggest proof, falsely, but it's the biggest proof that this is so serious. Because how could someone possibly do this to the country if it's not true? In reality, Americans are overstating the death of this virus by 180 times. They're making it 180 times deadlier than it actually is. It's really 120th of 1%. And again, a lot of those people really didn't necessarily die of it. Some of them didn't. A, lot, a good majority were going to die within a few months. So that you know that, that's very different than the Spanish flu, where the average uh, or the median age of death was 28 I, I thought that was just an unbelievable observation. Unbelievable. Then there's another interesting thing here. 
you want to talk about death. Okay? This is from covidplanningtools.com. So, basically, the New York Times a couple of days ago put out something and said, really, the death toll is more like 200,000 already because there's all these excess deaths that are unaccounted for, so it means they died of COVID. And in fact, what it really means is that they died from the lockdown and from the depression. Weekly USA death counts by age from CDC has shown in figure one some interesting trends. For age groups under 25, we're not really seeing any excess deaths, which makes sense. But the death rate profile for 25 to 44-year-olds shows a significant flat bump that does not correlate with overall COVID-19 death trends. Okay? So they're noticing something very funny for 24 to 44-year-olds. There are very few deaths. Obviously, those people are very, very sick. The people that did die from it, it's serious, uncontrolled diabetes and heart disease. But, you know, in the scheme of a country this big, you wouldn't have seen a blip. So you can't blame it on COVID. And they note that for reference, they have a figure two. They have an overall trend of reported that fit into um, COVID-19-related death dates for the USA. And they know that the date of death curve matches the excess deaths trends for 45 plus age bracket. So over 45, they notice it. But under 45, forget about it. It doesn't match with the timing. Cumulative excess deaths in the 24 to 44 year bracket total close to 18,000. But COVID-19 deaths are only 8,000. And again, so many of those are motorcycle accidents and things like that. So I I think the numbers, the excess is a lot more than 10,000 in my view, but let's go with 10,000. So what, what, what they do is they go through different sources of death by CDC and conclude that it appears that the excess death count during the COVID-19 outbreak in the 25 to 44 age bracket, cannot be wholly attributed to the virus. Less than half, less than half of excess deaths accounted for by current COVID-19 numbers are from COVID-19. It is unlikely that deaths in this age bracket are related to other common COVID-19 comorbidity conditions because they didn't really see an excess in heart attacks and other things. And they conclude what we've known all, all along, that from a process of, elim- of elimination, the only conclusion you could come away is that these deaths are due to suicide, despair, alcohol, drug abuse, and violence. Less than half. What does that mean when you express it in terms of less than half of the excess deaths of 24 to 45-year-olds were due to COVID? Well, put simply, what that means is that for people 24 to 45, more of them died from the lockdown and the panic porn and the despair and all of its collateral damage than died from the virus. Just like Chuck Norris used to say to the criminals, I'm taking you in. We could do this the hard way or the easy way. God confronted us with a respiratory virus. 
It's going to spread, but he did it in a mercifully merciful way that's going to hit herd immunity at 15 to 20%, which we've seemed to hit in most major population centers in this country. And even some non-major population centers. The question is, are you going to kill more people due to a man-made plague or not? In Sweden, they chose not to, and they had a better result. And here, in Peru, and elsewhere, we chose the hard way. And we're going to pay for it. That is the true, that, that, that is the true calamity here that nobody wants to talk about. Truly, truly sad. There we are. But where do we run? Where do we hide? Where do we go? I'm trying to get some other good patriots on this show from county-level government governmental positions, sheriffs, county commissioners. If you know of anyone where you are that's actually fighting back against this, let me know, because I can't find them. I certainly can't find them. But there are a few out there, and we need a refuge from this. There's a point that I'm going to make later today in an article I'll have out at Conservative Review. A very powerful juxtaposition of what we're seeing with the courts crush individual rights, create new rights, but don't protect the real unalienable rights. So if you're a conservative in a blue state, you're screwed. Face diaper mandates, your business is shut down, churches are shut down. All right, let me go to a conservative state. Well, what's a conservative state? Well, you know, you might think of a place like Idaho. Did you know that in Idaho, just in the last year, the courts have mandated and the Supreme Court has pretty much allowed it to go on, directly allowed it to go on, that the state has to pay for sex change castration operations of child molesters sitting in prison. They've mandated that there's a right for homeless to camp out in the streets in Boise, Idaho. The city government cannot clean up those encampments. And just yesterday, a Republican Trump-appointed judge, this Judge Nye in Idaho, ruled. Remember we had Barbara Ehart, the representative from Ohio, uh, from Idaho, last year that helped pass a bill to bar men who think they're women from female sports. The ninth circuit, the not ninth circuit, the district judge, Trump appointee said it's likely to be struck down. So he puts on an injunction pending the court case because it violates the 14th Amendment. Think about this. The 14th Amendment was created for a time we live in when states violate life, liberty, and property. As James Wilson, the man who wrote that amendment, or that clause of equal protection due process said, there are no new principles, no new rights. It's just enforcing against the states because there was no enforcement mechanism the rights that existed from the time of Blackstone. My body, my right? Nope, that doesn't apply to your own nose and mouth to breathe fresh air. But evidently it applies to a dude who wants to go to female sports. Again, we're not asking for a positive benefit. We just want to breathe free air without being harassed. You don't have a right to a state college athletic program, no matter who you are. But the notion that a man has a right to a female program, 
So this is how states like Idaho, I mean, first of all, even there, the Republicans suck, except for a few of them. But even where the Republicans will hold the line or won't enact some of the things that California does, the federal courts will do it for them with the help of a Trump-appointed district judge citing the Bostock case, the Title VII case, written by Trump-appointed Gorsuch. This is like the third case I've seen so, so far. Remember how Gorsuch was like, no, no, I'm just reading a statute. I'm not saying there's a constitutional right. It's a statute. It won't affect anything. And Alito warned, no, it's going to affect female sports. It's going to affect Catholic hospitals. Well, that's happened on both accounts already. Yet the 11th Circuit did this. Here we are. Here we are, folks. And there's nothing we can do about it. Where do we go? See, we can't count on the courts helping us. So at least in the red states, it's time to push back. No, no, no. Let's just elect Republicans to appoint better judges. We appointed them, you idiots. It didn't help. It didn't help. Not one iota. By the way, one other article. I just want to jump back to the virus before we uh, conclude here. One other article I wanted to share with you because I just brought up the homeless and it reminded me of, uh, of this article I saw with, with the homeless. So you would expect the homeless are just horrible conditions, obviously. You know, n- no access to health care. They're all over the streets. And as we've seen, the courts have mandated now and the Supreme Court has upheld it that you cannot clean out Homeless encampments. And we have more homeless than we've had in like decades. Maybe even surpassing that wave in the 70s and 80s. Right? We have a massive homeless crisis in this country. So you'd expect there to have been a bloodbath. But interestingly enough, AP from uh, two days ago. AP article. When the coronavirus emerged in the U.S. this year, public health officials and advocates for the homeless feared the virus would rip through the shelters and tent encampments, ravaging vulnerable people who often have chronic health issues. So that's another feather in the cap there. They scrambled to move people into hotel rooms, thinned out crowded shelters, and moved tents into designated spots at sanctioned outdoor camps. While shelters saw some large COVID-19 outbreaks, the virus so far doesn't appear to have brought devastation to the homeless population as many feared. Now, like everything, AP says something that's proven, and then they speculate about something not proven. However, researchers and advocates say much is unknown about how the epidemic is affecting. <laughs> right? So, like, they, no- they notice it doesn't affect, well, but, but, but maybe we don't know everything. Quote, I am shocked, I guess I can say, because it's very, very vulnerable, vulnerable population. I don't know what we're going to see in the aftermath, said Deborah Bourne, who oversees health policy for COVID homeless responses at San Francisco's public health department. That's why it's called a novel virus, because we don't know. Here's where we are. More than 200 of an estimated 8,000 homeless population have tested positive for the virus. Only one homeless person died. King County, which is where Seattle is, 
More than 400 of his estimated 12,000 homeless residents have been diagnosed. Which again, I'm sure, I'm sure they've achieved achieved herd immunity. It's not 400. I'm, not, I'm sure it's a few thousand, you know, because a lot of them don't get tested, and um, very few deaths. Very few deaths. Truly fascinating. But those who listen to this show find no enigma. Because we hear about every death. But if you look at a broad population, how many people do you know who die? It's just not that well known. Many, many cases, few deaths. Many cases, few deaths. And again, those many cases are not going to have to go to 330 million Americans. It's probably, as we have noted, it's going to stop at one-fifth that. Okay, so you know maybe seventy million or so, but again we probably already had fifty-five million, which takes care of most areas, and it could be the smaller, more obscure areas might not have to get to fifteen percent. That's still an open question. I don't have an answer to that, but this is the bottom line. We went and killed our society for a virus that was exaggerated, but what it did kill, there was nothing we could do about it. Never forget it. I would rather fall in the hands of God because he is merciful than in the hands of man. As King David said 3,000 years ago, that principle has not changed. Sometimes when you draw upon older principles, you'll find that the only thing novel is our decrepit values as a government and as a society. In this case, translating to our suicidal response to the virus. This virus really is not that novel at all. It's the mentally ill people in charge of our government. Again, I'm going to challenge you as the stupid conventions come on in the election and we all focus on the war of words. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not good at that. Few people are in predicting the outcome of this election. But what I can predict to you is if we don't change the game, this despotism, this tyranny, this anarchy, which there's a lot of news of that, people getting beaten and killed by career criminals that get let out, and Republicans continue to talk about jailbreak. Jared continues to have Kanye West at the White House to discuss letting out more people. Nothing will change, even if Trump wins, if we don't fight back at a local level, if we don't start a new movement, start a new party, push Trump on policy and personnel better than we've done, because we already have a four-year track record where what we are doing is not working. Folks, again, support ExpressVPN, our sponsor today forward slash conservative when you put in that URL make sure you do not give your cookies your information to those who are censoring us so while you go to Facebook go to Miniman Speakeasy Harwood Citizens Sanctuary our two Facebook fan pages make sure you have it express VPN to filter all of your devices email me dharwitz at blazemedia.com tweet at me at rmconservative till tomorrow thanks so much for listening and God bless you all 